0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello and welcome to New Books in Environmental Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Isabel Aikman, and today we'll be talking to Sally Hawkins, Ian Convery and Steve Carver about their new edited volume, The Routledge Handbook of Rewilding. So thank you everyone for coming on the podcast. It's fantastic to have you on here. Um, before we get talking about the book, it would be great to get everyone to introduce themselves, to say a little bit about your research interests and how you came to the idea of rewilding in your particular field. Um, so, Ian, if we start with you.
2: Uh, yeah, so I'm Ian Confrey from uh, University of Cumbria. Um, I guess I'm a geographer by, by background. Um, I spent 20 years or so working in and around um, conservation um, probably more of a kind of human focus initially in terms of, uh, well, I, I was, I was working in Mozambique in Gorongosa National Park in a post-war looking at how communities had moved back into the park and how we might come up with a different model of managing protected areas that was perhaps more inclusive. Um, so yeah, I had, had a kind of long-term interest, I guess, in conservation and, um, more broadly how humans interact with wild and all kind of natural spaces. Uh, more recently um I I've set up and, and I lead the um Back and Map multi-species uh, uh translocation project in, in Cumbria. And together with Steve I co-chair the Rewilding Thematic Group and I also chair um IUCN Commission for Ecosystem Management in Western Europe.
3: Great, thank you very much. Uh Sally, and I'm an environmental social scientist at the University of Cumbria. And I kind of got in, interested in rewilding because I worked on a consultation for species reintroduction and reintroduction for the links um, to the UK and um, just realised how important socio-cultural factors are in um, restoration and rewilding projects. So that kind of got me interested in, in rewilding and I have been um, doing a PhD um, in rewilding and trying to understand what rewilding is for the last five years or so. And Steve. Oh yeah, I'm
0: Steve Carver from uh, School of Geography, University of Leeds. I'm director of the Wildland Research Institute, which is nominally based in the department there. Um, I'm along with Ian, co-chair of the IUCN's rewilding thematic group. Uh, um, again, I'm a geographer by background. Uh, my interests are really about geospatial aspects of wilderness and wild land. Um, and that's kind of brought me into the rewilding sphere because, you know, a lot of aspects to do with the potential for rewilding are, are really about spatial ecology. Um, so I've been applying my GIS skills such as they are across uh, the UK and Europe and indeed in North America and China and other countries as well. So that's uh, that's my background and that's where I'm coming at it from.
2: I think Steve's been very modest about his GIS skills there, but never mind.
1: Great. <laughs> right, thank you. Um, so, Ian, um, I'd just like you to introduce our listeners to what, what rewilding actually is. Where did the term come from um, and how does it fit into a longer history of environmental concern? Um, so, I, I guess
2: um, the term can be traced back to North America and the work of people like Dave Florman, um and Michael Soule and Reid Noss. Um, it was, I think, first used, and chip in Steve or Sally with this, but it was first used by um, Dave Foreman in a publication called Around the Campfire in Wild Earth back in 1993. And then uh, in 1998, um, Michael Soule and Reid Noss published Rewilding and Biodiversity in Wild Earth, which kind of outlined um, the process of... of um, that, that kind of three C's approach to rewilding that we were talking about before the recording started, essentially, um, co- co- areas connectivity and carnivores. So that really kick-started, uh, the rewilding movement in, in North America, um, uh, and then kind of, uh, coming a bit more today, 2004, Dave Foreman wrote a bit, wrote about rewilding North America, what that could be in terms of presenting a different vision essentially for conservation in the 21st century, perhaps a more optimistic vision. Um, so yeah, that, the, the roots of rewilding were essentially North American in origin, um, uh, and it's, it's probably it's probably as good to say what rewilding isn't as much as it is to say what rewilding is. So because there's so many fallacies out there in terms of what rewilding is is or what people think rewilding is trying to do. So you know it's not about trying to recreate ecosystems from thousands of years ago. You know it's important to look to look back and. You know, the past can inform what we do in the future but it has to be a forward-looking approach not least because of that that many challenges we face in the 21st century with climate change and what that means for um for habitats and species um it's not about trying to rewild everywhere um that that is just nonsense um it's it's about it should always be a niche concept um uh it should it's it's part of the conservation toolbox we're always going to need kind of more mainstream conservation, perhaps conservation that has a a more human focus. Um and we're also gonna need different kinds of land use as well in terms of food production and, and whatever else. So along with that, um it's not anti-farming. And that's another one of the kind of key criticisms of regarding that. Oh, it's 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 trying to kick farmers off their land. Um it's it's not about that law. Um it's it there's also a criticism that it's anti people. Um Uh, and again, that isn't the case. I think there's a strong argument that rewilding, particularly in a UK and European context came out of environmental philosophy and a a view really that we need to have a different approach to our relationship with nature. We should, um, we need to move beyond the kind of human nature dualism and a more, take a more ecocentric view in terms of how humans fit into the, um, live with other species on the planet. Um. And probably one of the kind of key fallacies is that it's only about being, bringing back kind of predators such as wolves and bears and 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 lynx and you know carnivores are are important um, not least because of their kind of uh, their trophic control um, uh, aspects but it's it, you know species translocations can be an important rewilding tool. But it's always got to be context specific and driven by science and ecosystem function it's not about rushing in somewhere and just releasing a pack of worlds so it's about understanding that place and coming up with solutions that fit at that point in time um so, and i've been talking for a long time there so i'm gonna i'm to ask steve or sally if they want to kind of chip in um not least because i've forgotten what the original question was
1: well i think what you brought out there is um and what comes out with the book is a really kind of methodological approach um and a very bespoke kind of monitoring program, which was really interesting and something that I didn't realize was so fundamental to the idea of rewilding. Um, So Sally and Steve, if you have anything to add to that.
0: Sally, do you want to say anything? But I've got some points to make, but go ahead.
3: Just to add, I guess that um, I think rewilding, I think Ian might have mentioned it, but rewilding is fundamentally about questioning human control and dominance in landscapes and in the Anthropocene and figuring out how we can um create this paradigm shift um because it is visionary um but while working in um the current paradigm so being pragmatic while trying to achieve transformational change yeah
0: that's really good sally um yeah uh, a couple of points
3: i think about um
0: you know what ian was saying about it's not an approach which is applicable everywhere you know it's got to be context specific and appropriate for the the situation in hand you know and there is this temptation to call you know all kinds of conservation which are tempting to make things just a little bit wilder um you know by you know whether that's restoring habitats or reinstating you know lost species or whatever. the temptation to call that rewilding and i think that loses something of the the um you know the fundamental ethos of rewilding which is putting instead of Instead of us as humans controlling um, ecosystems and, and habitats through this process of ecological restoration and management, is giving nature the space and the time to dictate its own trajectories and outcomes. You know, so we have this kind of model, and it's it's not a perfect model. As all you know, all models are you know uh, kind of simplifications. But ecological restoration is really about uh, you know having uh, human led, but nature-enabled approaches, so you're using natural-based, you know, um, nature-based systems to achieve the desired outcome. Whereas rewilding, it's really about turning that on its head, and it's really about uh, human-enabled but nature-led. So it's us as humans giving nature the space and the time to dictate its own trajectories, then just allowing it to do that. And of course, that involves us as humans making a conscious decision so, okay, we might kickstart the process with some management interventions, but certainly over time, stepping back and allowing nature to, to call shots, basically. And, you know, going back to the spatial side of things, you know, that takes place on a continuum. You know, it's a continuum of approaches and a continuum uh, of of localities and of geographies. And, of course, rewilding isn't appropriate everywhere. I think, you know, the traditional conservation methods have their place. Um, so what we're saying is that, you know, rewilding isn't everything. It is a new approach in, in many respects.
2: And I think, um, I mean, I think they're really important points, Stephen. I think that the, um, the point you made about, um, it, it offering a different view of conservation and a, an approach, which was kind of rooted in ecocentrism. That was, that was really kind of what was put forward by Michael Soulé, Suley, I think they, they were experienced conservationists and they just recognized that actually. Conservation is rooted in, a, in an anthropocentric worldview, and that, that in itself can be part of the problem sometimes. And we need to step outside of that and just look at what we're doing differently and take a, uh, a a longer term perspective and a bigger scale perspective in terms of our interactions and our interventions in conservation and, and rewilding.
1: Brilliant. Um, and I think we've lost Steve uh, for our listeners. He is firmly in the rewilding process in a field in Lincolnshire at the moment, so he might have lost signal. Um, but Ian, you mentioned the difference of rewilding in different countries. Could you maybe expand on that?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I think the North American model um, is uh, it, it works at the continental, state, continental scale in, the, in in North America because North America is vast, and there are the kind of core areas of protection already in place there. There's the space to have connectivity, and they have um, they still have kind of uh, uh, carnivores to um, some of that kind of process of, uh, trophic, trophic cascade, trophic control. Um, so it, it's it, in terms of its origins, you, you can see how it emerged out of that kind of particular North American worldview, um, to, to some extent that, that view works elsewhere in the world as well. So maybe South America, um, perhaps the challenges are, are pretty similar. Europe is obviously quite different in many respects, more fragmented politically, geopolitically, um uh not so much space and not so much kind of core areas of protection so it's much more difficult um to come up with the um to, to use that original 3c's approach in a European context um so the, the model that's emerged in Europe I think is 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 significantly different to the model which to the original model proposed by Sule, Nos, Etc um it 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 takes a more herbivore focused approach, it takes a more human-centric focused approach.
1: Brilliant. So we've got a bit of an idea of what rewilding is and how it's thought of in different countries around the world. Um, can we talk about the the book itself? What do you want to do with this edited volume? Um, why does rewilding as an idea need this edited book that kind of Touches upon political, social, economic ideas, um, as well as the theoretical and the practical.
3: Yeah, so our idea really was to um, talk about and um, consider rewilding, and the real complexity of rewilding, as um, has been demonstrated by our explanations of rewilding um, in on this call prior to this. Um, so, but there was a need. Um, well, we identified a need to kind of have this edited volume. That can provide a basis from which we can then take rewilding forward so to consider where we are at right now and find some of the um remaining conflicts and debates in rewilding um challenge the concept from different disciplines as well i think that was really key for us because rewilding is such a complex and interdisciplinary um subject and so we invited people from various disciplines to consider rewilding not just in terms of ecological rewilding um, but also some of the cultural changes um, that we talked about in terms of that paradigm shift. Brilliant and what
1: did you want to include? What had to be left out of the books and what are the kind of principles of rewilding that the book is based around?
2: Gosh what had to be left out of the book? Um, I mean I think we we I think we scratched the surface <laughs> with rewilding in many respects and we could probably um we could probably work on um a, a couple more vo- volumes of a rewilding handbook uh, particularly in terms i think just reflecting rewilding experiences globally uh, and picking up your, your your question before isabel what does it mean in different contexts and different social social ecological contexts uh and you know we, we I, it's it's a Western term. it's it's emerged from um, kind of a Western way of thinking. and the term is is meaningless if you use it in 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 different contexts globally. So if you're talking to um, if you're talking to indigenous peoples in, in, in different places around the world, rewilding isn't going to make a whole lot of sense. and And it's easy, I think, to over romanticize perhaps this this concept of indigenous knowledge and indigenous practice, but if we take that kind of high level view, um, that there is or tends to be um, a, a more ecocentric, more connected view of how humans exist with with nature, um, something that perhaps we've lost in in a, in a Western context. So, I think understanding, having a better understanding of of rewilding in different contexts is something that we we would probably like to follow up in a in a revised edition or a second volume. Um, and,
3: Um, given that rewilding is so complex, I think there's probably quite a lot that we haven't covered. But we've used case studies. Um, so we have a case study, for example, looking at a project in North America, one in Nepal, um, one in uh, Mozambique, um, and one in Scotland. And then we also look at it from different kind of subjective or some disciplinary perspectives. So. Looking at mycology, for example, or rewilding and human health, um, rewilding and how it kind of relates to trade and human conflict and rewilding of schools and, and education. And then also um, kind of how would rewilding look in the context of recreation and adventure travel? Um, so these are kind of different perspectives on what rewilding could do in different contexts. Um but there's probably a lot that we've also left out, like um, the economics of rewilding is a subject that um, we haven't t- tackled too fully in that in the volume. But something that's really key and a question that always comes up is how do we fund rewilding projects?
2: Yeah, and I think also how do we how do we respond to other conservation is- initiatives such as nature based solutions or perhaps natural capital, um, which take a more um, values based approach, but Particularly, I think when those values can be reduced to financial values, that 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 presents I think some challenges for, for um, how you might apply rewilding and how you align rewilding with those sorts of ideas. So I think they're absolutely concepts that we're interested in exploring um, in another book, but also I think in terms of our role with the uh, rewilding thematic group as well. Um, uh, I think Isabel, you asked me a follow up to that, which was to say a little bit about um, the principles. Is that is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right.
2: Um, so maybe maybe before we get to the principles, but perhaps we should say a little bit about what rewilding is and how we've defined it for the book, but um, kind of more broadly for um, for the IUCN Rewilding Thematic Group. So. Uh, we talk about rewilding, or the goals of rewilding, as as being um, a focus on the restoration of functioning native ecosystems, um, complete with fully occupied trophic levels, which the implication of that is, of course, that, that includes carnivore species, that are nature-led um, rather than human-led. So this idea that it's reducing or taking away human control um, across a range of different landscape scales. Um, so. Inherent in that, I guess, is the idea that rewilded ecosystems should be self-sustaining um, with no or minimum kind of intervention management from humans. So that that idea, I guess, of managed, demanaging, moving from restoration through to rewilding, where you reduce interventions over time. Um, and I think picking up the point that I made at the start, that it's not about trying to rec- to recreate an ecosystem from the past but recognizing that ecosystems are dynamic they're not static they're constantly changing um, so it's it's the process really of rebuilding native ecosystems usually after major human disturbance and that that can be some kind of catastrophic event it can be war it can be a whole range of different things um, in order to create a complete functioning food web again at all trophic levels that's sustainable and resilient so, uh, again, chip in, Sally, but I think that's, that's, that's our definition of rewilding. I don't know if you want to talk through the principles or start to talk through the principles, Sally.
3: Um, so the principles really were to help to guide rewilding practice. Um, and we looked at um, kind of different approaches. I mean, there's, you know, as we've discussed, um, a lot of different approaches to rewilding have emerged across the world responding to different contexts. So it was important for us that principles didn't are prescriptive about how rewilding is done, but rather, or what interventions are used in rewilding, I should say, but rather kind of the principles that underpin rewilding um, practice. And these include, for example, um, looking at reference ecosystems to guide, for evidence on what rewilding, um, what restoration, uh, needs to entail in terms of like ecological um, com- components of a system, uh, being inclusive and collaborative, and drawing on knowledge not just from traditional scientific knowledge but other types of knowledge and local knowledge, traditional ecological knowledge. Um, I'm trying to think of all the principles now, and <laughs> Steve, but I can't. Uh, yeah. So
2: um, I, 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 yeah, with either. Should... Oh, Steve, you're back. It's no, <laughs> yeah, should... um, yeah, I, I
0: had to put the phone in. Um, yeah, I could chip in there, I guess. Um, you know, I think, uh, as Sally was saying, you know, leaning on from, you know, those uh, principles uh, six and seven, which look at uh, community involvement and public acceptance and use of uh, uh, traditional and uh, ecological knowledge in there, not just, uh, you know, sort of scientific uh, approaches, um, but also then, you know, kind of moving on from that is uh, you know, a key thing about rewilding is recognizing the intrinsic value of wild nature. You know, and if you if, if you know, if rewilding is is, is dependent on wholly on, on getting some economic return or human benefit from it, then I think that's missing the point somehow. And so that's one of the key principles that we, you know, really do stand by is that, you know, why are we doing this? Well we're doing this not just for us, but for the benefit of wild nature and recognising its intrinsic value. And I think that leads us on to the final principle, you know, principle 10, which, you know, many respects it's not really a principle, but it's an overarching statement which says that, you know, we really need to re-configure uh, or re-evaluate our relationship with the planet and with nature, um, you know, to uh, you know, put us not at the top of this sort of biotic pyramid as a sort of egocentric approach to, uh, humanity and nature, but as ecocentric to so where uh, where we're a part of it rather than you know master of everything. So I think there's you know a fundamental final principle there, which is, you know, speaking speaking very
2: strongly to that. And I think just to um as we as we sort of start to number the principles, uh, when I was talking through that definition before, um the first couple of principles really just talk to that idea of um restoring traffic interactions and I think this idea that Um, it's about landscape scale planning that includes kind of core areas, connectivity. And we we talk about coexistence now alongside this idea of carnivores and and coexistence really speaks to that point that Steve just made around um, that paradigm shift that we need in terms of moving from an anthropocentric to a much more ecocentric way of looking at the world.
3: Yeah, and it was really important for us to um, reflect that in the book. So the last section of the book, is actually on the ethics and philosophy of rewilding. So we've got, um, and that was edited by Kate Rawls, who's an environmental ethicist and philosopher. Um, So it was really important for us to capture that principle and kind of start to question how we create that or how we affect that paradigm shift in from our modern society.
1: Yeah, brilliant. I think those principles are just so important to keep in mind as you think about rewilding. And that reconceptualization of the relationship between humans and nature. Um, So important to start to change. And I had a question kind of along those lines, I think for Sally, this is um, aimed at your research in how can rewilding help mitigate the exploitation of the natural world by humans? Um, What can actually change with rewilding on kind of the wider level? And also, I guess, generally for all of you, what can individuals do to help the rewild campaign?
3: Yeah, so um, my research has looked at rewilding from kind of three points of view, why change is needed in terms of rewilding, what change um, is rewilding looking to um, create and how that's done. And when you look at the drivers of rewilding, so why change is necessary, it's really common, across the data I've been looking at to um identify um these kind of causes and effects leading up to the Anthropocene, which I kind of collectively term dewilding. And these include things like obviously escalating human influence, um, ecological degradation over time, colonialism, um, cultural hegemony and knowledge hegemony, um, and just creating this kind of vicious cycle, if you like, of um de-wilding, and that in- includes kind of uh, cultural and ecological um, issues. So in response to that, re- re-wilding is really about creating this virtuous cycle um, towards a more um, sustainable and resilient system. So rewilding is not just about ecological restoration, but it's about trying to create the... Conditions where it becomes sustainable. And so that creates, that entails cultural change as well in many instances. Um, so, yeah, rewilding is not just about trying to achieve this vision overnight. That's impossible. So, even though it has these very kind of transformative, very bold visions, um, it's impossible to achieve overnight. So, it's really about trying to kind of work iteratively in a stepwise approach to affect this virtuous cycle towards a wilder future and what I loved about the book as well was that you all brought in a lot of
1: case studies from all over the world which you've already kind of mentioned briefly um, to demonstrate how it plays out in practice Um, and I've just finished reading uh, Wilding by Isabella Tree which comes into the book and there's a good critical analysis of it so I was hoping that maybe we could talk about, uh, one or two of the case studies and how you determine success and failure in these rewilding campaigns.
0: Mm. on. Oh, is that one the rest of me?
3: Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know.
0: I've been, I've been quite critical of some of these, uh, uh, projects in the past. And Ian and I wrote a piece for British Wildlife magazine fairly recently. Which was really discussing the role of the fence, um, as, and the fence is a physical barrier to species movement. And so you get projects like uh, the of in the Netherlands, which is quite often held up as an example of rewilding in a in a relatively densely populated country to show you know what the art of the possible. But of course, you know they've they've had real difficulties with uh, you know too many large herbivores. Um, breeding very successfully in that landscape, which is a, an enclosed landscape and it's got a fence around it. And of course during series of really harsh winters there was mass die off of those animals because they were they were starving to death. It's simply because they couldn't move, you know, and it that goes back to the roots of, you know, the rewilding model of, you know, the Carl's Corridors and Carnivores model, the three C's, you know, and there you had a, a situation it was you know, labelled a rewilding project, but it was an enclosed landscape, uh, only about five thousand hectares, um, with no carnivores in it and a lot of herbivores. Um, so there was no connectivity, and there was no carnivores. So there was just this isolated core, um, and so that you know, it was it was doomed to failure from the start. In many respects, it, there wasn't there was a plan to reconnect it to you know the, the, some of the other large natural areas in in the Netherlands like uh the the Ovedu, uh, with this corridor called the osterwald but like politics and planning got in the way and that that never really happened um and you know so the the, the fence is a is is both a, a barrier and a, a management tool and you know I think you've in in small landscapes uh in heavily managed landscapes like we see in Europe um, then you know that really has to be carefully addressed. Um, so yeah, I think I'll shut up now. But you know, I think there are some real problems that need to be addressed in that cars, corridors, carnivores model.
2: I mean, I think uh, the the sorry, Sally. I, I think just coming back to the, um, the the question, I think the um it if you're going to judge a project as being successful, then it comes back to those principles, and you end up with. Um, an ecosystem that is self-sustaining and that isn't going to happen overnight so again this is part of the challenge that um, some of these projects t- will, will, will take decades if not kind of hundreds of years to see through and it's about um, responding to that I guess in terms of the management as and interventions that you need at the the earlier stages of that project and, and an adaptive management um, process so you could be confident that um, the ecosystem or ecosystems are moving in the right direction and that you're you're managing or demanaging accordingly so um it offers kind of quite unique challenges I think to conservation and that it, it moves beyond that sort of typical five uh four or five year project cycle to think on a much longer time scale which is is difficult and I think it's um I think you know it's it it, it you might be seen one might be seen as being something of a rewilding purist in terms of arguing you know what what rewilding sh- should be but i think to, to echo steve's earlier point it it's it's a niche concept it doesn't fit everywhere um and just doing conservation or regenerative agriculture or whatever else is absolutely fine but i think there is a there seems to be um something of a rewilding bandwagon at the minute it seems to be Quite trendy, and everything seems to be called wild this or wild that. And I think we we just need to sort of step back from that a little bit and come back to core principles of what we wilding is and what does it mean. Um, again, which isn't to say that the things that people are doing are, are unhelpful, or, or you know, it, it it's 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 great that we're seeing changes in the agricultural sector. It's great that we're seeing farming moving towards something that was more regenerative. Just like NEP, just don't call it rewilding because if you're farming, it's not rewilding. As 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 I think we've all said in various places at other points in time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, to quote uh, Tony Sinclair, he, he made a point in a uh, a paper, a presentation he gave in 2017. He said, "If if uh, you know a, 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 an action, be it rewilding or be it ecological restoration, applies to everything, then it also means nothing." Um, but you know you, you, you've got to apply the right term at the right place if you like the right scale and the right time frame so you know rewilding is as we've said you know it it's not everything it, it it's quite a niche uh conservation uh tool and it needs to be applied carefully and, and in the right place and at the right time scale um so yeah those are those are important points
1: brilliant um well, that's all we have time for. But thank you so much, everyone, for joining this discussion. It's been brilliant to talk through the book. Um, would highly recommend the listeners to go out and get it. And they want to really understand this very, very important concept. Uh, so thank you so much for joining. Okay, thank Thanks
2: Thanks. Thanks so much.